This podcast is brought to you by the Albany Public Library main branch and the generosity of listeners like you. What is a podcast? God, Daddy, these people talk as much as you do. Razib Khan's unsupervised learning. Hi guys, you know that genetics plays a huge role in our health and more people are using genetic testing to determine risk for diseases like cancer for themselves and their kids than ever before. So I wanna tell you about ORCID. It's the only company that does whole genome testing for embryos, testing before your child is born. If you're doing IVF, this is a clear choice now because now you can reduce risk for thousands of single gene disorders, including heritable forms of autism, pediatric cancers, and birth defects. Check them out at orchidhealth.com. Hey, everybody, this is Razib here, and I am here with John Logston, Dr. John Logston, Associate Professor in Biology at the University of Iowa. And um, I know John, like, let's see, I think we met um, at the Evolution meeting in June of 2016 when it was in Austin. And, you know, we had some conversations about evolution and genomics. Uh, So it's been a while. And so um, I wanted to catch up with John because, you know, I obviously do do genomics in my, well, in my startup. You know, um, you know, we deal a lot with genomics and in my professional life, but, you know, I work in population genomics. My training is in population genetics. And, um, you know, I'm not that bad compared to some people that work in population genetics about real genetics, about Mendelism, and also like the biophysical molecular elements. Like, I will tell a story. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say Okay, I'm going to say it. It's Michael Torelli. Um, who always confuses um, how meiosis works, <laughs> and was also and for this is for the nerds out there. John's going to find this funny, but um, he was explaining um, that there's no recombination at the ends of the chromosomes, um, you know, as opposed to the centromere where there was a lot of recombination. Now, <laughs> those of you that know know what, why that's funny, but in any case, um, Trelly's a great guy, quantitative geneticist, and, you know, his training was in quantitative ecology, and so sometimes, um, you know, those of us in pop gen, um, we kind of, you know, kind of lose track of the nuts and bolts, and so I want to go a little bit back into the nuts and bolts. Um, occasionally in these podcasts, I drop, you know, oh, I have to, like, you know, tell tell guests, like, okay, like, people don't know what a promoter is in this context, you know? Uh, people don't know what, you know, GC enrichment is. All of these things that we've discovered in the last generation or so. For those of you out there, um, you know, you know what genomics is or you've heard about the term genomics, but I really want to emphasize this is something that's evolved, uh, literally exploded within the last generation. You know, we, you guys all know the draft of the human genome was in the year 2000, and they started sequencing well, I mean, they started assembling the genomes of, of some organisms, like smaller organisms in the 90s. And then there was a phase in the 2000s where they were publishing a new genome of an animal every year. And now it's kind of like not really like that, where we just have too many genomes. And now it's kind of part of our um, our background. And so, John, I want to start out like, how do you how do you define uh, the difference between genetics and genomics to, you know, just, I don't know, some other person from another department when you're at some faculty thing? Hey. Uh- Great to see you. Yeah, it's probably been that long since uh, Austin, and I, I, I have a fond memory of hanging out at, you, at an outside bar with you. Yeah, you got to come back, bro. You got to come back. I know. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll catch up with you because we're gonna blow through Austin here in the in December. Anyway, so, awesome. Um, uh, well, I think traditionally when we're talking about genetics, 
we're talking about, um, ex- except for some fields of genetics, we're talking about the action of individual genes, studying um, one or a few genes at a time, right? And people have been able to study that for years. I mean, since Mendel, right? Um, and, and that uh, we can study the traits that are, you know, that are um, provided by those genes or um, employed by those genes or, uh, or come out of those, th- those functions. Uh, but genomics is sort of like uh, the next level of what happens in the whole set bag of genes uh, as, a, as a group, right? So genomics would include things like functional parts of genomics, like so multiple, the, multiple, the action of multiple genes. Uh, it also could just mean, um, you know, delineating and, and keeping track and studying uh, whole sets of genes within a particular uh, cell or organism. So I, I think they're just levels of analysis to some extent. You know, genetics predates because it's sort of a it's sort of a method uh, that implies a particular kind of subset of of uh, of things to look at. And you know, and as a population genetics, you're studying genes of multiple populations now. So there's now population genomics, which means you're studying many many genes or some number of populations. So I think they're just mm-hmm. le- they're just levels of, they're just levels of analysis. Yeah, I mean. Y- Back in the day, and actually still, uh, depending on who you are and what you do, um, there could be, you know, your your field, your publication record, your laboratory could be focused on the function uh, and inheritance of a particular gene. Like that's that's the thing. You are a geneticist, yeah, right? I mean, you can do genetics without doing genomics, but you can't do genomics without doing genetics. I think. Yes, I think that's true. So, gen- so genomics la- is like, a, as you said, it's layered on top. It's a, it's a structural. So, you know, genomics, like human genomics, it's the study of these 19,000 genes, you know, that sort of thing. Like, how are the genes or, organized? Or 27, if you ask a different person. Yes, yeah, yeah. And also, like, you know, like, I mean, uh, you know, so when you see a genomics paper, so for example, like people, you know, you read the Thousand Genomes paper, it's just like, okay, you count the number of genes, you count the average length of the sequences of the genes, and then you do the features of the genome, like what percentage of it is intergenic, what percentage of all of these things, how many single nucleotide variants are there, how many structural variants are there. So a lot of it is like accounting, descriptive um, at the first level, at the first pass. And then obviously, you know, evolution of genomic dynamics and genomic dynamics and structural genomics and all these other things, functional genomics, they start to get into the nitty gritty of like what the genome is actually doing. And, you know, there's a whole level, and I don't know if we're going to get to this in this conversation, you know, we think of the genome as this linear thing, as a, as a text, right? As like, you know, as a string of text, but the reality is it is a biomolecule, it's, it's part of a biomolecule, it is a biomolecule, right? And DNA has structuring and packing and a morphology and we're really getting into that. And I think it's like, you know, is it like hollow genomic? I don't know. There's like, there's terms for like trying to figure out how like the tertiary and the quaternary structure of genomics works. And that's, that's just in the beginning. But, you know, when we're old men, you know, that will, that will be a thing that we also well, discuss. Well, some of us on this call, in fact, are old men. I think, I feel like, but I think I, uh, uh, hey, I, you know, I remember as a PhD student, you know, I was studying individual genes and, and I was studying organelle genomes and organelle genomes are genomes of mitochondria and, and chloroplasts and organelle genomes were easy to study in the, in the, at that time, that would have been the, you know, early nineties, mid nineties. And, uh, and it was just, it was, you know, it was kind of like joke, joke, ha ha, you know, when, you know, when we're professors, you know, our students are going to be sequencing entire genomes and studying them. And we were all like, yeah, right. 
And of course, that's exactly what happens now, right? I've had multiple students do ge- multiple genomes for their PhD thesis. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's a ma- it's a matter of um, of technology. It's a matter of level of study. It's a matter of of what is available for um, you know for, for research at a given time. And so, um, but but I think layered in terms of like the kind of questions you ask. So, yeah, yeah, and so. Um... It's weird because, you know, over our lifetimes, um, and I, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, people can, I, I need to like find it, link to it, but there's a New York Times um, article in 1993 about like, you know, the some hundreds of genes that geneticists have identified and they study, and they're talking about the genetic map and, um, you know, how many generations it's going to take, and also like whether it's even possible to complete the genetic map because, you know, the technology that they had. Remember, like, until very recently, uh, people were, you know, genetics was done through crossing Drosophila or looking at pedigrees and figuring out patterns of inheritance. Now we're, like, going straight into the biomolecular substrate. And then there was an intermediate period of, like, molecular genetics where they were using assays, you know? So um, we've come a really long way. And now we know we know kind of like the details of the lettering in there as opposed to just the book itself. I don't know what metaphor I want to use, but I want to talk about um, just what a genome is in terms of structurally. So people see A, C, G, and T. They see these letters. But it's more than just the letters. The letters themselves have um, structure. So, you know, there's a start codon. There's codons. And so the the sequences have these structures, and like you actually wrote, a, and I'll link to it. You wrote a review um, in a, a book chapter in 2015, and that I sent you uh, a copy of, and I'll post it for the listeners. And you talked about like the various definitions of, of things. And can you just talk about a bacterial genome, like the main features of it, and um, just in terms of how it's different from, say, the eukaryotic genome? Yeah. So, um, unfor- unfortunately, um, biology is complicated with terms. And um, and even saying the word bacteria and prokaryote sometimes aren't always uh, by some people consider the same thing. But for the sake of simplicity, we're going to talk about single celled organisms that we're going to call bacteria. There are actually multiple flavors of these kind of organisms, but they generally exist as single cells. They generally have um, small, uh, compact genomes. Um, and, and when I say compact, there's not a lot of space between the genes. So, so think of, uh, the, you know, the classic example for biologists is E. coli, Escherichia coli, um, but, you know, lots of things. And, um, and there are usually circular genomes. The in, individual cell usually only, well, it often will have multiple copies, but it's an identical copy that's being replicated at the same time. Um, but all it needs is one copy to survive. So that's a prokaryotic genome. Compared to eukaryotic genomes like us, they're usually linear. They're usually comprised of multiple chromosomes, although, uh, you know, there can be lots of chromosomes or few chromosomes. Chromosomes are linear things. We actually go back to prokaryotes and, and the little circular DNA by bacterial geneticists is called a chromosome, too, <laughs> just to be confusing. But uh, but humans and, and, you know, our relatives have linear chromosomes, uh, order, order or orders of magnitude bigger in size. Um, uh, usually an order or so bigger in numbers of genes. Um, and, and the genes themselves have different properties between eukaryotes and prokaryotes, which I think you want to talk about a little bit, um, hearkening back to my, uh, my graduate school days studying that difference. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of do. Um, so 
honestly, I mean, <laughs> the complexity is like very, very different um, in terms of what a gene. So what a gene is like, and just like, this is a, this is a huge argument. I don't want to get too philosophical. Cause like, you know, we want to get concrete, but you know, a gene is you know, a human. I, 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 yeah. I teach intro bio. So I, I am pretty good at trying to boil these things down. So <laughs> you, you do it. You do it. You, you, you talk about, talk about what a gene is and what it means to different types of different types of well, geneticists. Uh, so right for a classic geneticist, a gene encodes a function. So you, if you're studying a phenotype, you can uh, make a mutation in that gene and that identifies that, that gene. Really a gene is a, is a segment of DNA. And so the DNA usually, uh, although not always encodes a protein, um, and so uh, uh, we usually we often talk about a gene being from the start codon to the stop codon. That is, uh, it, it, it encodes a messenger RNA that does that. Uh, in eukaryotes, it's a slightly different, which we'll talk about, but but basically it does that. Um, but in a molecular sense, in a in a in a uh, more general sense, actually, the gene is is not only just the stuff that encodes the protein that does its work. It's all the stuff around it that tells it to turn on, how much to turn on, when to turn on. Uh, stuff like that. So promoters, enhancers, stuff like that. So the gene is kind of a unit of function. It's also a unit of inheritance. So uh, we already talked about genes at the top of the hour here um, uh, from a genetics point of view, but but they have different kind of definitions depending on your, again, your level of study. Um, and, and so um, it, it really depends on, on what it is that you're, you're interested in. Most people mm-hmm. would say, though, a gene is usually the thing that encodes a protein, although not all genes encode proteins. Yeah, and like you kind of alluded to the start and the stop. And so now we have a physical idea, a physical, like, like biophysical understanding of like the sequence of letters start, stops, starts here and stops here. And so there's a particular length. And I want to – you said something about um, you know, bacteria versus human and size. I just wanted to double check. Um, so, um, E. coli, which is a bacteria, has 4.6 million base pairs. We got 3 billion. So that's orders of magnitude, like you said. So it says E. coli has approximately 4,300 to 4,400 protein encoding genes. We got, like, let's say, like, around 20,000. 20 or plus or minus 5,000. <laughs> yeah, let's just say that. Okay. So you said, you said we're 10x greater um, and um, in terms of number of genes, but... Um, like our genome is so much larger and this is kind of anticipating maybe like a conversation we're going to have later. But I mean, uh, just like talk really quickly, like why, like, why is that? Like why, why is, why is, why is our genome much larger, but the number of genes not that much larger? Um, the answer to why questions is always why not, but, um, to, (laughs) to be less glib, uh, the, the, uh, the general answer is that um, is that eukaryote genomes actually are harboring a whole bunch of other additional material in their genomes that um, in, in many cases is actually not particularly uh, important for function, which is kind of uh, ironic or um, what's the word? Uh, paradoxical really is the right word. Um, and, uh, and so eukaryotic genes tend to... If you want to listen to the rest of the podcast, you know where to subscribe.